Hi, and welcome to the Sheep Show podcast dedicated to all things ovine. Thank you for joining me. I'm Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm and Sheep Stud and your host. This is your podcast to learn more, know more and achieve more when it comes to shepherding. Come with me as we explore the amazing world of sheep and sheep farming together. Welcome to this episode of the Sheep Show podcast. Today, I have an expert with me, in fact, an international expert. I'm here with David Smith, and David is a qualified vet. He lives in Scotland, although, of course, given the recent events, he's found himself somewhat hauled up in a, in a beach house in, uh, in Queensland, <laughs> which is very fortunate for me because I get to chat with him. David is very well qualified, PhD in sheep immunology. And since 1975, David's passion has been focusing on internal parasites and worms in sheep and how sheep have become immune to various worm infections, particularly his work has been done with the Morden Institute, a farmer-owned and farmer-led research institution in Scotland. And uh, our chat today is going to be on worms and internal parasites, and in particular, an amazing vaccine that David and his team at the Morden Institute have developed, which is for one particular worm. So welcome, David. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Jill. How lucky are we on the Sheep Show podcast to have someone with the depth and knowledge that you have to share with with us. So we're really, really honoured to have you. And I guess what we're all wanting to find out is what we can do because we know how challenging sheep worms can be for us. So I'm really thankful for you to share, share your knowledge with us. Now, t- tell us why do sheep actually get worms? Well, that's quite a difficult question to answer. I mean, why does any host get any pathogen, any, any infectious disease? Over, over millennia, presumably, these parasites have evolved to take advantage of, in this case, the sheep. Obviously, humans and all sorts of other animals get parasites, not just worms, of course, but they could be flies, ticks, you know, all kinds of things. Mm. Um, so that's a rather difficult question. To, I, I find a rather difficult question to answer. Mm. Why? Mm. Why sheep get worms? So it's just a, just it's, a normal, natural process. Yes. Worms are trying to find that's somewhere funny. to live, I guess. Yes, exactly. Uh, where do they come from? I'm, I'm always interested if, if the worms, do the worms sort of arrive in the environment or do the worms come in with another sheep? Where do they come from? Ne- nearly always from another sheep. A sheep may be apparently, an imported sheep may apparently be completely healthy, but in fact it might have a tiny number of worms there and it just takes one egg, of course, to produce to hatch into an infective larva. And then for that to go into another sheep and the whole thing multiplies up, that's it really. It nearly always comes from another sheep. Yeah. And are sheep ever worm-free? Well, more or less, yes. We deliberately, for example, in our organisation, keep sheep worm-free by keeping them indoors okay. and feeding them only on uh, diets that, uh, you know, like hay or whatever that's been heated beforehand. It goes to a lot of trouble and expense to do that so that we have a blank canvas, as it were. You know, if you want to study one particular species, you have to have that species separate from, from the others. Otherwise, things get pretty confusing. So for most of us who would be farming with a sort of non-sterile environment, it's going to be pretty hard, isn't it, to keep them worm-free? Yes, that's right. There will be very few farms that don't have any parasites. In fact, I, well, I'd be very surprised if I'd like, to want, I'd like to visit one that didn't have any worms at all. <laughs> 
I'm sure lurking there in the background, there'll be a few uh, few species in the, in the gut or in the liver, for example, if it's a liver mm-hmm. fluke. The important thing is to keep the level, of course, the level of infection below the point where it causes disease um, and death, but mainly production disease. Of course, you want your uh, all your sheep growing as fast as possible. And if they have worms, they t- that tends to be slowed up. Yeah. What sort of worms impact sheep? Because there's different sort of families, isn't there? Yes, but broadly, there are roundworms. They're the ones that most common ones that live in, in the gut, by and large. I mean, there are exceptional species, but I'm only talking about the most important ones here. Mm. Then there's liver fluke, which, as its name suggests, lives in the fluke and that's uh, in the liver and that's of course is a very different uh, beast and then there are a few tapeworms but they generally aren't aren't very important in terms of causing disease in sheep mm. so it's liver fluke and um, roundworms that live in the gut there are three main species that are the most important parasites of sheep in terms of production and occasional death Mm, okay and what are they what are those species well there's the barber's pollworm it's 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 scientific name is Himonchus contortus and it's the one i've studied most and it lives in the fourth stomach of the sheep in the same area is another parasite called telodosagia or it's also called ostatagia until recently and uh, that's a small uh, worm uh, which prefers whereas Himonchus prefers tropical conditions it prefers cooler climates. Then in the small intestine, there's a parasite called Trichostrongulus. And it's a tiny little little roundworm, but it can be there in large numbers and it damages the gut so the animal doesn't absorb or digest its food as well as it should. So all of these are, all of these, with the exception of Imonchus, which is a killer, the others tend to be more sort of chronic in nature. They tend to be production diseases rather than uh, fatal disease, mm-hmm. unless you have a massive infection. Mm. So causing ill thrift. That's right, ill thrift, diarrhea, mm-hmm. diarrhea sometimes. But it, uh, you, can have, you can have an animal without diarrhea with still still a high infection, which is proven by doing an egg count, a faecal egg count, mm-hmm. an egg count, counting the number of eggs present in the feces. Mm, great stuff great and we'll we'll sort of i'm really wanting to to explore that and and help our listeners sort of get familiar and get used to doing that because i know i use that and that's that's really helped me to to manage it and also help me to not waste money really and time as well no no it's important to know you should uh, most farmers should do uh, regular egg counts uh, on their flock uh, to determine whether or not they really do need to drench and as you just said if you can save a drench or two that saves money but on the other hand, uh, don't scrimp if the animals have got positive egg counts. Mm. And there are lots of centres in Australia and all sorts of other countries, of course, which will, will provide that service. I don't know around your particular area, but certainly yeah. in the New England area, which I'm more familiar with, or in and around Sydney, there are well-known places who, who, do, who do egg counts for farmers, obviously, at a price. Yes, absolutely. You we can, have how to do it yourself I, I don't know there's another in case you don't know there's a there's a very good website called Parabos on, on the net I would google Parabos and it, it covers all parasites but worms in particular and it tells there's all sorts of um, advice for farmers about controlling uh, worm parasite. Yeah, we we can use our local vet, and also yeah. in Victoria, there's a, an organisation called Parasite Diagnostic. Um, right, there you go. 
Yeah, and I find they, they, they're very good because they'll hatch out the eggs and also yeah. they can do the resistance count as well. So Precisely, mm. yes. That's important. Mm. So apart from, and we'll come back to this fecal worm egg count, but apart from doing that, can you tell by looking at a sheep, can you tell that a sheep has worms? Not precisely. If you can get clues, though, if you have sheep with, say, that are anemic, when you look at their eyelid, they're very pale white uh, eyelids, and at the same time they might have a bottle jaw, a bit of a swelling under the under the jaw. And if, they, if there's a history of them grazing on, say, fairly lush pasture, it's more than likely they'll have barber's pearl worm. There are other things that can cause anemia, you see, so you can't be absolutely sure it's that, but that's quite likely. Other uh, ostatagia or trichostrongulus, as it's called in the small intestine, they're more difficult. They're, they tend to be just scouring, sheep that are scouring, but they're not or loose feces, not growing well, sort of generally debilitated, but nothing terribly specific. In some cases, you can take you could take a blood sample. You just said when you actually look at them, but if you took a blood sample, you can measure enzymes in the blood to show that ostatagia or telodosagia is present. So that, that's that's also helpful. I've heard someone say to me that oh, you see that sheep there? She's she's a bit hunched or a bit squeezed in at the hip. And that could be a, a visual clue. I'm, I'm not sure about that. Yes. And any sort of debilitating, so they just look off colour. Mm. They're not keeping up with, if, you, if, you, if you're driving a mob of sheep, the tail enders, they may be, they, they may be wormy. There may, be, of course, be something else wrong with them, but chances are they're wormy. Again, you must think of the history. What sort of pasture are they on? How long have they been on it? Have they been on at the same place for a very long time? Has, has, the, has the owner attempted to do anything to do with, pasture management, that sort of thing. All, all those sort of things vary from one individual case to the next, and you just have to work it out for yourself or with your vet, for example. How environmental are worms? I'm not quite sure what you mean by environmental, sorry. So in terms of the weather, climate? Yes, of course, yes. As, 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 as we mentioned earlier, Himonchus, the barber's pearl worm, really likes warm, wet conditions. On the other hand, Trichostrongulus and Ostatagia, they prefer cooler conditions. For example, in Scotland, we hardly ever have any barber's pearl. It's just too cold for it. Telodosagia and Trichostrongulus are consistent problems. And so it would be the same in Australia. By and large, the further south you go, the less likely Himonchus is to be a problem. Barber's pearl is to be a problem. More likely it's Trichostrongulus or Ostatagia. What are, what are the common names for those two two worms? Are we talking brown cow worms? <laughs> the trouble is they vary from <laughs> the names vary from one country to the next. Ah. So I'm, I think in Australia, Telodosagia is sometimes called osties. There's a, a version that goes in cattle too. Maybe it's reversed to that. And the other one is it's I don't know if there really is a specific name for Trichostrongulus. It's a layman's yeah. name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is hard. And you're right, because we obviously our our listeners on the podcast are from all over the world. So it's good that you're using the official term so that people can actually relate to that because that won't change. Yes. It's unfortunate that the official names are sort of long and sort of in slightly incomprehensible. <laughs> You know, for us to have, you know, when we're talking about worms, we're often talking about having a good relationship with our vet because they can, you know, they're, they're often the first port of call. 
And these are the terms they're going to use, isn't it? Yes, the most likely, yes. Yeah. Or if a vet is in practice in a local area, he'll know what the, a particular worm is called in that particular area of the country yeah, because they do have different names. It's just like you know, the diseases of sheep. In Scotland, we have all sorts of different names for diseases of sheep, which you don't have in Australia. It's quite interesting. Well, Even types of sheep, we have, we have names of types of sheep that you don't use at all. Wow. Do you use, you use the word gimmo, for example? No, never. No. And even the, the, the word top, you know, we wouldn't use the word top yes. or topping here. Or, exactly. or top. Yeah, exactly. which, which in Australia is weather. Well, actually, no, because um, weather is usually castrated. Yeah, and a top isn't. A, a top shouldn't be castrated. Oh. A, that's a ram, you see. Okay. So, yeah. so you, okay. So, uh, and I know my brother runs sheep in Ireland and, and often they don't castrate the male Fair enough. Yes, well, weather is the castrated tub, though. At least okay. it, in Scotland it is. <laughs> so would they use that term? Would they call them a weather if, if it was a castrated tub? Uh, we don't use the word weather very much in Scotland. Gimmer is much more commonly used. That means a maiden ewe. Okay, lovely. Maiden ewe before, usually when she's a year old, but before she's, she's usually mated in her second year. Yeah, yeah. Of course, for the first time. A lot of British breed sheep would, would um, you know, breeders would generally do that as well. Beautiful. Yes. So tell us about this, this fecal worm egg count. You know, how does one do one? You mentioned you could do it at home. What do they need to do one? And then what sort of numbers are we looking at? Right. Well, you, do, you can buy kits and they usually involve, you do need to have some kind of microscope, but it can be quite a simple microscope. And there are so many different kits I, I, I wouldn't like to. I wouldn't like to, to advertise one in particular. But essentially, what it boils down to is, you take a sample of feces, mash it up, and then eggs float in a salt, saturated salt solution. You mix the the slurry, this mixture. You add to it heavily concentrated salt solution, and the worm eggs float to the top, whereas most most of the debris goes to the bottom. So then when you put it on a special microscope, there are special microscope slides called McMaster slides, named after the person who devised this particular type of microscope slide. You put a drop of your suspension in there, and then you count the number of eggs you can see, and that tells you how infected or otherwise the, the, that particular sheep, or it might be a composite sample from several sheep, is or are. Mm. Yeah. And so, what, what sort of numbers would would sort of cause alarm in terms of the quantity of, of eggs? Oh, we see. Well, again, it depends on the species. But um, if you have a, an egg count which is more than a 1,000 or more, that's, that's pretty dangerous. Particularly, it's not too bad if that's Himonchus, but if it's the other species, if you know you don't have Himonchus on your farm because, let's say, it's, you're in too cold or dry an area, but the other species are there and you have an egg count of 1,000, that's, that's nasty. Anything over 200 is bad news 200 eggs per gram is bad news for Telodosagia or for Trichostrongulus. However, anything over, say, 2,000 is bad for Himonchus, Barber's Poleworm. How? Because that's a huge difference. How come you need so many more Barber's Pole per gram to, to be a problem? The, the reason is Barber's Poleworm is much more fecund. That means it lays far more eggs per head than the other two species. It lays approximately 10 times the amount of eggs. That's why it's such a dangerous worm. The reason why it does that is probably because it's a direct blood feeder, so it gets a terrific nutrient. 
The other species sort of graze on the lining of, of the stomach or intestine, and it's not quite as rich nutritionally. And I think that might be the reason why Himonchus produces, as I said, 10 times the amount of eggs. You can have, you can have a sheep easily with 10,000 eggs per, of Himonchus per gram. And when you consider that a sheep produces about a kilogram of feces every day, that's a million eggs going out onto the, onto the pasture daily. And so the infection can build up very rapidly. And because, of course, Himonchus is a bloodsucker, it can lead to a fatal, fatal infection. And it's not uncommon in certain parts of the world, if the farmers aren't alert, they can wake up to 10, 20, 50 dead lambs. Not funny indeed. Yep. And I've had that personal experience. So it's, yeah. Oh, really? Mm, they're yeah. fine one day and dead the next. Right. Yes. So you've got to be very wary. Yep. And yeah. so that's why something like Barbavax is quite good because it, it prevents rather than treats. So, okay. So let's talk about this now too. So, you, so we've talked a little bit about what the worms are and, and how different they are. Uh, and, and of course, the numbers that, that really send, send alarm bells to us. How, let, let's look at the other worms first. How do you treat the other worms with those big scientific names? Well, there are various uh, antimentic drugs th- that work. Sometimes there are some, some farmers have, have uh, resistant worms in their, on their property. And there's only one way to find out if they're resistant or not, and that's do a drench reduction test. As, as I think you mentioned earlier, there are various people in and around Australia that, that can do that for you. It's, it's relatively expensive, but very well worth it, I would say, to, find, to make sure that any drug you use is effective. Mm. If it isn't effective in your sheep, you're essentially wasting your money pouring it down the animal's throat when it's not going to do anything. What would that and look like if you were, if you were going to do that, that uh, resistance test? What, would you, what extra things would you be doing or would your, would your vet or your parasite partner do? Well, they'd probably have to come to your farm and do some fecal egg counts uh, on, on a group, groups, groups of sheep and then treat certain individuals with certain drugs, you know, like a, a range of drugs, like say, I don't know, four or five different drugs, and then do an, a second egg count, say a couple of weeks later. And if the egg count has gone down massively, shows the drug works, of course. Yeah. But if it hasn't gone down very much or perhaps it's only gone down by half, you know that, 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 that the worms are resistant to that particular drug. Mm-hmm. So you then, you know, some of the older drugs, uh, thiobendazole, for example, were first introduced in the 60s and 70s. And uh, so antimentic resistance to those is very common. But occasionally there are farms that surprisingly don't have it. So you can't, you can't prejudge totally. Mm-hmm. But then the newer drugs too, uh, unfortunately, resistance is coming all the time. There were two new drugs introduced about six or seven years ago. And there's a, certainly already quite widespread resistance to that, well, with Himonchus anyway. Himonchus tends to develop resistance more rapidly than the other species, probably because it's more fecund and faster and, and it turns over quicker. Mm-hmm. And, and what, when you say resistance, what does, what does the, what's the impact of having worms on your farm that are drench resistant well it just means that you can't control them using uh, antimentics anymore or the or with the particular antimentic that they're resistant to in most places there will be if the worms on the property are resistant to say thiobendazole they won't be resistant to a different drug so you know immediately 
not to buy, buy the thiobenzol, but to buy this other drug, which could be avermectin, for example. Mm. And, and on that then, what about the actual animal? So would it be better for you to do a, a resistance test on lambs, for example? And are lambs, do lambs and, and older sheep are used, do they, are they impacted differently by worms? Yes, well, you're probably best to do it on lambs or young sheep anyway, because they'll be the ones that have the highest egg counts. But of course, don't forget, it's the, if, if you're testing the lambs, <coughs> it all depends on how the animals are, are housed or, sorry, how they're distributed across the farm. If, you, if the lambs are with their mothers, if the lambs are, are producing resistant eggs, well, then the mothers will, will be get infected with those resistant worms. If, on the other hand, they were kept separate, they wouldn't. But, you know, pasture management is, is something that can be taken very seriously to control uh, worm infections. The ultimate is rotational grazing. Uh, you have lots of little paddocks and you move your sheep, usually about every two weeks or so, to the next paddock in a, and going round and round. And if you're more sophisticated, as you have some cattle, calves grazing the pasture two or three days before the sheep. So they hoover up all these worms, sheep worms, which don't infect the cattle, if you should mean, mm. but they hoover them up so the sheep don't get them. So a combination of those two things help a lot. And with the occasional drench, perhaps if necessary, as necessary, determined by fecal egg count. Or if you're talking about Himonkus, Barbavax works very well. We have one customer in the very far north, practically on the Queensland border, and he had a lot of problems with, with Barber's Pearl and his uh, sheep. And he had, he had to introduce all these different uh, mechanisms, these, these systems together, and all year round, because he was sufficiently far north for, it, for the parasite, the Himonkus, to go in the winter still. Mm. Yeah, it's, I, I, and we'll talk about that because I mean, there's some things environmentally that can kill the the barbarous pole, but it's a it's a it's a pretty mean beast when it gets going. It's it's hard to. It's it hard is to yes, and it isn't as if you can pour pour some chemical on the pasture to kill it either. Or at least if <laughs> you might be able to, but you'd kill all sorts of other nice things as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you would for sure. I think it's a really good point, isn't it? That that you know, use with lambs, you know, you might have lambs with with a high well, actually why why do young sheep why do they carry more eggs what's the what's the reason for well that? They, they tend the older sheep tend to have acquired immunity natural immunity the more you're it's just like it's just like adults uh, it's just like humans mm. uh, you generally speaking covid's an exception <laughs> <laughs> generally speaking um the older they are, the more less like you're less likely to get, say, measles because you've been, been infected earlier in life. And the same with worms and sheep. As as the sheep get infected, they they gradually become immune naturally. That's their, their immune system works to make them to make them resist the parasites. But in in the case of worms, it's never 100% effective, and it varies a lot from one individual to the next. Some sheep don't bat an eyelid when, even though they're exposed to lots of worms, whereas others uh, are very, remain very susceptible and have diarrhoea and all the rest of it. What's, so it's, what, what causes that? What, what causes that individual difference, do you think? Oh, it's genetics nearly always. It's, um, it's all down to genetics. So you can breed sheep for worm resistance and even for susceptibility, and people have done that. Scientists have done that deliberately. To, to try and understand what the difference is. But if you have a group that's very resistant and a group that's very susceptible, 
and you try and compare their genetics, etc., you might be able to pinpoint uh, what it is that's making them immune. And therefore, once you know that, then you can attempt to stimulate that artificially by a vaccine. Wow. Do you know if there's a, a genetic test that you can use to actually test for whether or not you're, say, for example, you're going to breed with a particular ram, whether a ram would be worm resistant? Yes, there is. And in Australia too, certainly with merinos, I'm not sure about other, other breeds. Um, I'm trying to remember, certainly around Armadale, New South Wales, I've forgotten the name. That's okay. But there's, there's certainly groups up there that I'm, are heavily into that sort of thing. And of course, they're not just breeding for, for worm resistance, but all sorts of other productive, productivity traits as well. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know I currently test for cold tolerance and foot rot resistance. There you go. Um, yeah, but yeah. yeah, well, if you think of it, let me know and I'll pop it in the show notes so people can, can find out what that, what that genetic test would be because it's um, be quite amazing. So you mentioned there the ewes generally have that developed immunity. Ewes are, let's say they're quite immune, but they lose that immunity around about lambing time. How it's called the peripoturient rise, peripoturient around lambing, and mm-hmm. rise meaning a rise in fecal egg count. And you see, that's the the parasite is cunningly <coughs> adapted to the to the host, such that it that it produces more eggs just around about the time when the newborn susceptible individuals are going to be out in the pasture, mm-hmm. eating them and and get and and maintaining the parasite's life cycle for it. Cheeky. There's an awful an awful lot of subtlety going on here. But if I could um, just bore you for a moment with Barbavax, what's interesting about Barbavax is it's a completely artificial immunity that mm. it induces. We, this, 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 it do, uh, this doesn't happen naturally. Yeah. And, and that's why, unfortunately, with Barbavax, it's, down, it's a downside is that you have to re- repeatedly inject the sheep because they don't, the, the type of immunity it induces is not induced by infection only by injection of the vaccine it's a it's a trojan horse theory <laughs> um sorry I don't, I don't mean to get technical but um, it's quite straightforward really the uh, the parasite is a blood feeder okay mm. and so what we've what we've what's in barbavax is are proteins extracted from the lining of the parasite's intestine okay so we extract these these proteins from the parasites intestine inject them into sheep the sheep makes antibodies which go around in its blood when homunculus now comes along it drinks antibodies directed against the inside of its intestine and it doesn't like that and it essentially neutralizes the ability of the parasite to digest its blood meal wow so it's this kind of trojan horse type um, approach and that's that's how it works and it, it works because we only need a tiny amount of a tiny amount of material, five millionths of a gram, a tiny amount of mm. material to inject into sheep for it to raise this antibody response, which makes it immune to the worm. How long did it take you to work this out? Uh, well, I started started working on it. Uh, I suppose oh, about twenty five years ago. Um, it, it's a very slow. It's a very slow process. The trouble is because every every time everything you want to test can only be tested in sheep. Barber's pearlworm doesn't grow in, say, the laboratory in, in a test tube. <laughs> it, it'll only grow in sheep. And the only way to find out whether your latest brew, your latest vaccine brew, works or not, is to have a group of sheep which you vaccinate, and have another group of sheep 
which are controls which get nothing and then give them artificial infections and see what their respective egg counts are like. And of course, the sheep only land once a year, so we can only do, say, a limited number of experiments. Each, each experiment takes about three or four months, and we can only do, say, two or three experiments a year. So it's very slow to get there, but eventually we got there. And then, of course, we had to do, well, lots and lots of trials involving thousands of sheep in Australia and other countries in Australia, particularly before the vaccine got um, approved and registered. And it's been on the market now for six years, as I said. Mm. And what results have farmers seen from using Barbavax? Well, generally speaking, it's very positive. They had very few uh, complaints. Most of them, many of the farmers, particularly, as I said, in the Armored area, have resistance, drug resistance problems. And this use of Barbavax has overcome that for them. So they can hold back, if, hold back, if necessary, the newest drugs, uh, not use those except in extreme circumstances for an emergency. So no, uh, broadly speaking, uh, most farmers are very happy with it. Yeah. it. Provided they follow the program, you have to inject the, the sheep quite frequently, approximately a month to start with, and then every six weeks and, until the end of the season, end of the barber's pole season. Um, but if you do that, it, it really works. It reduces, it doesn't, it doesn't, kill the worms off completely but it reduces the egg counts by a batter of 80 percent or so and that's sufficient to suppress the disease to stop to stop uh, signs and and or deaths of, of yeah. from the from the parasite hmm. might you might you still have to use one of the other drenches to yes. control the other par- other species yes that's right they will first of all they, what they should do is they should do an egg count to check to see what other species are there yeah. uh, first and if they are a problem, and some farms, some farms certainly in New England, Himonchus uh, really dominates the worm picture. But it won't be the same where you are in Victoria. If Himonchus is present, I would imagine it might represent, I don't know, I'm guessing 30% of the, of the population, something like that. Yeah, I'm not sure of the percentage, but I know for me, it's my biggest worm issue, my biggest health Always. issue. Yes, well, it's often the case, actually. Well, when people have done uh, costings uh, in Australia, worms are uh, our enemy number one, and I think two is fly strike. I think that's you know people like Syro who who do these surveys. That's that's the results they've got, and it's hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Worms cost the sheep industry in Australia. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, okay, so let's let's just go back. You talked about the process of using Barber's back. So let's imagine that you're going to start off, someone's going to start off and using Barbara's Vax for the very first time. Yes. Um, what, how would you say they would introduce the program to their uh, management system? Well, I would suggest then at, at the, the best thing to start with is with lambs. You can start with all age groups if you want, but maybe if you're being cautious, you might wish to start with your lambs. So the first injection goes in at marking time, the same time as a clostridial vaccines which are and other it's probably just, yeah well at marking time when they're, yeah. they're docked and castrated get that job done at the same time so and then approximately a month later three to four weeks later and then again three to four weeks after that and that's that second three to four weeks is usually can usually coincide with giving another clostridial boost vaccine boost okay mm. so unfortunately it's the it's the intermediate one that's extra work 
Then after that, every six-week intervals. And so those six-week intervals can be, you know, this is approximate. I say six weeks. I mean, if you do it at five weeks, it doesn't matter. But don't leave it beyond seven because, yeah, because the antibodies in the blood will have waned mm. and they're not getting re-stimulated, as I said, until you inject them again. So you do that. So you do the lambs. And then, but you could, if you want, do the um, the yearlings, weathers and gimmers, as I'd call them. Uh, what would you call them? You'd call them uh, first year. Yeah. Yes, that's right. You could do those as well. And the first, in the first season, you you give it to the ewes. You need to give it six times, sorry, five times. But after that, because they've been primed before, you can give them one less vaccine. Sorry, is it a you- subcutaneous injection? Yes. The details, it's one inch, one mil. The details are, the, the, the vaccine comes in 250 mil or 100 mil pa- uh, pillow packs, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. The details of all this, by the way, are in the Worm Boss website, or you can go to, if you Google Barbavax, you can get into our website there, which tells you the same thing. Great, lovely. So a little bit of work in terms of the frequency and, and sort of managing that. But the rewards. Well, that's right. If you have a resistance, if you have Ivonka's resistance on your property, Barbamax is probably a very good thing for you. What about the, I mean, obviously drench is a chemical which can impact the animal. There's withholding periods, there's export slaughter intervals, and drench can carry a risk for the human as well in terms of, again, it's not great for us to get it on our skin and the like. What's the, those, those sides of it with Barbersvax? Well, there's no withdrawal period with Barbervax. What was the other day? Um, export, export slaughter interval would be the same. That's right. There's no, there's, no, that's the same. There's no, there's no export slaughter interval. And yes, well, not a good idea to inject it into yourself, like any vaccine. I mean, we have had, we have had one case of somebody who injected themselves. Um, I think the gentleman concerned uh, sat, he'd left a, He'd left a needle and syringe on a f- low fence post and then sat in it. His friends, his colleagues thought this was in- extremely amusing. Yeah, sorry, I should be laughing. Yeah, he, but he, he had, a, I think, a slightly sore bum for a, a day or two and then it calmed down. Okay. Um, no, so to, to be serious, um, well, we haven't had anybody really inject themselves. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, if you got injected in the eye or something, that would be just horrible, but... You know, let's be sensible. It, it, it doesn't happen. It's nothing like as bad as I don't know if you've heard of the vaccine Good Air, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a very serious thing to get injected with. You can lose fingers, etc. But and no, this is nothing like that's that. the Agilent, the 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 Agilent in in yeah. Good Air. That's the impact. So with Barbara's facts, it's the the is there a da- no danger in the Agilent in in the it's it's called the adjuvant, not the adjuvant. adjuvant. Thank you, adjuvant. Thank you. A D J U V A N T. Okay. And it's a substance. There are, there are various adjuvants for vaccines, and essentially what they do is they make Harry. the response much stronger than if it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why they're incorporated. And as you just said, in the case of good air, there's an adjuvant, but also the the, the bacteria involved produces this very severe reaction which uh, people certainly wouldn't wouldn't want and so yes but that's it's it's much milder in the case of barbavax so so benefits in terms of the health the the, the drug resistance managing what i know using one of 
one of the drenches, you get like 49 days max. But with Barbara's Vax, you're saying you can actually get six six weeks and then it could continue if you keep uh, if you keep priming them. Yes, that's right. Keep injecting them. You, yeah. you, you, um, it, it's a summer. It's a summer disease in most of Australia, and so you don't need to you don't need to continue the course during the winter. But when it comes to the following spring, if the animals have been if as we, as we said there were lambs in the first season and now they're used, you don't need to start the injection course of injections until you give the second injection. Second second time around, do you, you have to, you have to give one injection every six weeks for the risk risk That's time. Right. Yeah, that's right period. for the duration. As soon as you give an injection after they've been primed, then you get a massive response within ten days. So if you know if you think that Hemonchus is going to start rearing its head in about two weeks' time, just give them an injection before then, and mm. that should cover them Brilliant. For, for the, the next six weeks. Yeah. Brilliant. So what's the that's cost? Right. The cost we sell the vaccine to our resellers for fifty cents a shot, and I think. By the time it gets to the farmer with GST, etc., that might be about 70, 80, 80 cents a shot. Mm-hmm. So if it's a five, season, five, five shots over a season, well, you can do the sums yourself, $4, yeah. I think that is, which yeah. I think is, is reasonably competitive with, Drench. with some, of the new, some of the newer drenches anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, of course, as we, you do have to give, depending on your circumstances, you will have to give the occasional drench to get rid of to get rid of the, the intestinal and uh, the telodesages and the ostatages, mm-hmm. which your sheep may or may not have. That's why it's a very good idea always to do a, to spend the money on a, on a fecal egg count test uh, beforehand, yeah. particularly if you've got a large flock. Uh, I think in your case, you've got a few hundred, so it wouldn't, I'm not sure if that would be economically viable. But mm. uh, if, you, if you have thousands, which of course many, many merino owners have, mm. well worthwhile. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, I guess, you know, we run a stud. So in, in that instance, oh. particularly, yeah. So, I mean, our... our... Yes, your, your animals, sorry, will have an individual value, which is yeah. much greater than, than average. Yes, well, you want to keep, you want to keep everything alive, don't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Yeah. Particularly, I yeah. find my ewe lambs have the most vulnerability to Barbara's pole in particular, yeah. which is so, and they're a huge yeah. asset for me. Yes, well, I... You'll enjoy talking to Ben Foster because he, he uses, he's got a couple of thousand merinos which he uses it on. He has been using it for five years. So. And he's a, he's a really practical guy. He knows his drenches, etc., like the back of his hand. He worked for a, a, an agricultural reseller, a big one, uh, but only newly set up, but immediately, immediately hoovered up about oh, 70% of the customers in, in and around Armadale because they, had, they chose the right guys to be on there. Wow. And Ben was one of the founders of it. It's called Grazag. Google Grazag, and you can get your vaccine from there, but it's inconvenient. If, if there's a landmark store, landmark distributor, and so do elders, mm-hmm. so if there's one of those stores near you, uh, you might be able to get it from them. Mm-hmm. And for our listeners who are international, particularly we have uh, quite a, a number of listeners in the United States and in Canada and the UK and Ireland and Europe, what's the, what's the chance? Can they get their hands on Barbara's Vax if they needed it, of course? Uh, well, unfortunately not at the moment. Um, <clears throat> it's only registered in Australia and South Africa at the moment. Oh, okay. uh, I'm, I'm trying hard to get it into New Zealand, but paperwork involved. The dossier that is, has to be submitted, it's, a, it's about two and a half thousand pages long. 
And the trouble is all, every country wants it in a different format. And so it's a huge amount of work. And that's what I'm busy. That's what I spend my time doing these days is, is, is trying mm. to adjust these. Um, but then uh, probably after New Zealand, Canada is next. Mm. Uh, we have, oh, it is, it is uh, registered in the United, in United Kingdom under veterinary supervision, veterinary prescription, which is different from Australia, South Africa, where you can buy it over the counter. Mm-hmm. And then the United States, well, we get numerous, I get numerous uh, emails from people in the United States wondering if they can get hold of it. But the short answer is no. Again, the United States have got very stringent rules uh, about registering new products, uh, new products, particularly foreign ones. And they will demand that further trials are done on their soil before it could be registered. Despite the fact that we have done hundreds of trials all over the world in different countries, mm. including in places where homunculus is more of a problem than it is in the United States. Brazil, for example, mm. tropical, wet, lush, homunculus love it. They kill sheep and goats left, right and centre there. And then the other, other factor we have to think about is, is it economically viable to, to bother a registering in a country like the United States, which only has 5 million sheep? Uh, only, and, and only about 2 million of those are in areas where Homunculus is a problem. So these are all factors that make us make make us uh, make make it slower for some countries than others. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. you've got to you've got to ask about ask about the, the viability of it all. So you mentioned obviously you can use it in you can use Barbavax with goats. Yes, you can. Um, we did trials in Australia, and unfortunately, with three three places, unfortunately, one of the three didn't work. We don't know why still. Um, and it would be very expensive to go back and do another. You would have to do about sort of, I don't know, six trials more to undo the failure, if you see what oh, I mean. Dear. Yeah. But again, the market wasn't big enough. It's just there's just not enough goats in Australia. Mm-hmm. Since then, we've done trials in places like Brazil, South Africa, Switzerland with goats and considerable success. So it does work, but it isn't registered for mm-hmm. goats in Australia. Yes. But you okay. can... You can use it. You can use it off label. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What about alpacas? We've had several requests to try it in alpacas, and I'm te- I've teed up with a lady in England to do a trial this summer, but I don't right. know. Right. Right. Um, I don't know how important homunculus is in alpacas. Do you see it around your way? Well, the only thing <coughs> is that I well, a lot of us sheep breeders will run alpacas as a protection animal. Uh-huh. And we yes. know that they seem, alpacas seem to be carriers of everything. So for me, making decisions, it would be, well, if I'm going to manage worms in my sheep, then I also need to be managing worms in my alpacas or they're just going to carry it. So have you ever done egg counts on your alpacas then? No, um, I have never done that. How many alpacas have you got? Three. And are they, these are adults then, are they? Yeah, adult, adult uh, castrated males, yeah. So they're probably quite... They're probably quite immune now. Then, maybe, yeah, maybe. I do drench them. I probably drench them once a year or so. Anyway, just okay. give them a combination. It might be worth it. Might be worth doing an egg count on yeah, them. Yeah, I think I will. It's a great, it's a great idea. It's a great idea. Yes. Wow. It might be worth doing an egg count on them. I just yeah, just know. to just to see out of interest if yeah if there's if there's anything in there that I should be aware of. Now you did mention Ben, um, so that. That's who, if, if, if any of our listeners in Australia wanted to use Barber Vax, it would be yes. either yourself or Ben that they would contact? Yes, exactly. Ben is probably a better port of call because normally, of course, it would be a call to Scotland, which would be a bit far away. Oh, I see, and yes. Of course, 
And there's a time difference. But Ben is based in Armadale, New South Wales, and he, he certainly knows all the all the farmers in and around New England. Is is it will be doing the odd tour further south in New South Wales, possibly Victoria, if there were sufficient if there was sufficient interest down there. But yes, he can be phoned up and you'll get um, you know, he's he's a really practical uh, chap who uses it on his own premises. Great. I'll pop his details in our show notes for listeners, if that's okay, so they can they can contact. Obviously, David, this is what you've spent your your entire career working on, or or, or the the last um, well, couple of decades. Well, you have to realise I'm extremely lucky. I'm extremely lucky to have had success. You have no idea the number of people who have tried to make vaccines, wow. all these parasites, and it's still continuing. By the way, but I, I should have emphasised that uh, although. We've cracked Himonchus. We have teams working on Telodosagia and Trichostrongulus and Oothotagi and cattle as well at the Morden Research Institute. Mm. All the profits, by the way, from Barbavax go to further research at the place. It's, uh, this is, it's, it's, it's celebrating its centenary this year. It's, uh, no, it's a, it's a fascinating institute. And yeah, I mean, well done. It's... And again, at the risk of sounding big, big-headed, there are, there are no, this, is the, this is the first vaccine for a worm in any host. So can you imagine how lucky yeah. I am? There you go. That's amazing. I told everyone that we were, we're very honoured to have you at the start of our podcast, so even more so. Who has influenced you most in, in your life for you to, to achieve what you've been able to achieve? Who have been your most... Oh, I don't know. Uh, ooh, uh, oh, I had a, a mentor, ooh, uh, but that was 30 years ago, who got me into research. I mean, I could have, as a qualified vet, of course, I could have more readily gone into veterinary practice in the UK, which most people do. But I always fancied uh, trying to understand a bit more. I always found it very uh, unsatisfactory. would go and see a case, a sheep or a cow. I, I wasn't so interested in pets. Didn't know what was wrong with it. Uh, and it would get better despite your treatment. So, so I found that very frustrating. So I thought I'd give research a go and then got hooked into it. And it's surprising once you get into it, it, uh, it, it really, well, for, for people like me anyway, it's really absorbing and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I can't give you a specific answer. No, really. <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. It's, uh, yeah, it's just interesting, isn't it? Well, at least there, there was one, that one person who, who got you on that, on that path. And, yes, that's right. that's right. So what advice would you have for our listeners if they're wanting to, just generally, if they're wanting to improve the health of their, their sheep and, and manage this worm issue better? What, what general advice would you have for them? Well, just do frequent uh, egg counts would be my suggestion to discover whether or not worms really are a problem on their premises. They probably already practice some form of grazing management. It, it, it just varies from one part of the world to another. And of course, speak to your local vet and get, a, get advice from them. That they should have a jolly good knowledge of worms and uh, sh- sheep and sheep and, in, and cattle, possibly goats. Not so sure about alpacas because uh, that knowledge on them is, is, is sparse. Mm. Uh, simple as that, really. And uh, yes, it's better always to, of course, talk to somebody who hasn't got a vested interest. I mean, don't talk to people like me who's trying to flog you by the facts. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> it's always better to have a, the, go to an independent person for an egg counts or your vet who shouldn't be partial to a particular mm. particular drench. Mm. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I guess, you know, you're educating us as much uh, as much as anything else, David. So we very much appreciate that. And, and I know it's been lovely to, to get your insight, not just on, on um, Barbara Vax, but the, the Barbara Paul worm and indeed worms generally. So I really appreciate. And again, we're very honoured to have uh, you yes, <laughs> To, to be able to, to help us out today. So thank you so much for joining us on the Sheep Show podcast. Not at all. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to the Sheep Show podcast with Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm. Please take a moment to rate and review this podcast on your preferred podcast app. Each rating and review helps us fulfill our goals of helping you learn more, know more and achieve more when it comes to all things ovine. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, sheep well.